Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. For those of you who used to be somewhat regular listeners of the show, welcome back. Season 2 is officially underway, and though the fundamentals will remain the same, there will be some noteworthy changes. Of course, to any first-time listeners, as always, I highly recommend you take a moment to jump back to the intro of the project. It should be listed as a trailer for the show at the bottom of the list of episodes in your podcast player. It's only about seven minutes long and provides some pretty important context about the nature of this show, its aims, and how it differs from most. So again, I advise you starting there so that the premise of this project isn't totally lost on you. To my returning listeners, thanks for sticking around through the past couple of months, which have been pretty hot and cold from a content perspective. In short, a lot has changed since I decided to give this project a go. There have been plenty of ups and downs personally, and for the most part I think this show has reflected that, which honestly has probably been for the best. Much has been learned and many of my perspectives have evolved. The same can probably be said about each of my guests and hopefully you all as well. Which brings me to what will be different this time around. If there's anything to be gleaned from this project, it's that as individuals, our identities and perspectives are in a constant state of fluctuation and irreducible nuance. We're never quite the person we were a moment ago. Everything we experience changes us. Each conversation I have on this show is just a snapshot, a irrepeatable moment in time, a brief glimpse of what individuals can bring to the table. At the end of each episode, I could probably roll back the tape, start from scratch, and have a new conversation of a completely different nature, tone, and theme. So I think that about sums up where the project is heading. I guess I'll resist my inclination towards overexposition and wrap things up here, but one final update. I will begin trying to incorporate the audience's questions into episodes, both for recordings with recurring guests as well as solo Ask Me Anything episodes, which I'll be recording the first of soon. So if there's anything you'd like to hear discussed or you'd like me to speak to specifically, please do give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter and send your questions. The audience isn't huge here, so there's a good chance your questions or topics will be featured. If you have anything at all, don't hesitate. I'd love to hear from you. And on that note, thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy the episode. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. control. All right. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous, season two, episode one. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing, uh, doing great. It's uh, pretty incredible how well I feel. And uh, I know we'll probably get into it a little bit, but uh, tomorrow is actually four weeks from, uh, awake brain surgery. And it's just phenomenal how great I feel. And, uh, this newfound love that's been building and building for life. And I'm, um, I'm honored and excited to be a part of the project again, starting out episode one, but season two now. Yeah. 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 I appreciate it. I think it was quite serendipitous to have you back. Uh, for those of you don't know, Joshua was the very first episode of this show. So it's figured it couldn't be more fitting to have him back uh, for basically the, I guess, relaunch, as you might call it. But 
we're starting out season two here doing things a little bit different this time around. I've learned a lot and I think a lot of my guests have have learned a lot as well and changed and basically I'll get into it more on other fronts, but this time around we're just aiming to continue to have ongoing conversations and see how things evolve, individuals evolve, perspectives evolve over time and just kind of seeing how conversations change given different circumstances, different settings, different uh different people really at base. So again, thanks for, thanks for doing this, but yeah, the, the elephant in the room is the, the brain surgery, the awake brain surgery a month ago, which is, is pretty wild. Just seeing you, uh, hearing from you. I I really couldn't tell, obviously I know, and and we've been in touch, but yeah, I mean, you, you've been, you've been living life, uh, almost normally, which is, which is pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, maybe you could just give the audience a little more info real fast to, to fill them in um, about what you've been going through and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it started four years ago. I met Dr. Q at Mayo Clinic through a mutual connection, just wanted to connect us with our love for brain health and helping empower the people to take charge of their brain health and optimize it. And didn't know that that would become a really prominent person in my life four years later. And so May of this year in 2021, I had a seizure in my sleep and that, you know, thankfully I had Jackie around because she uh, is trained in medical care and emergency care. And so uh, I was in good hands, but ultimately that led to an MRI that discovered a new mass had grown back and it was quite large, um, a little bit larger than a golf ball. And they suggested that that was what caused the seizure. And I had no idea. Um, there's been other ones that I've been aware of for previous years that we've been monitoring, but this was a new one and it had grown pretty mm. rapidly and, um, you know, figured out that I needed surgery. And this is 11 years since the first brain surgery in 2010 when I was 21. And it was just cool because it worked out in such a beautiful manner that I couldn't have wrote it better. Um, first things first, I went to Duke, uh, for the first surgery, Dr. Alan Friedman did the first surgery. So when this second one came up, um, or needing to have a second surgery, I was like, all right, well, I'm alive and well, so I'm going to go to the person that did the surgery the first time because I trust right. that person. They did a good job. You know, I'm here, uh, but didn't realize that the start of the year when I renewed my health insurance with Blue Cross, that it switched over to UNC Health Alliance rather than Duke's healthcare. And in North Carolina, we have UNC and we have Duke competing hospitals and right. they have their own health insurance policies under Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I wasn't aware of that. So they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, we don't accept that health insurance. And if you want to come to us, it's 25K down. And then it's about 100 to 200K after that. And I was like, yeah. uh, I'm not going to do that to Great. myself. That's just mm-hmm. unnecessary. And Jackie and I had already made the intention to move to Florida, where we are now, that June. So I remembered, okay, Dr. Q, his, uh, his documentary, um, or he's a part of a docu-series that just came out called The Surgeon's Cut. He's episode two. Uh, the sacred brain is what they titled his episode. And it's just about his story, leaving Mexico, teaching himself English. And then the span of seven years, leaving Mexico, when he was 19, found himself at Harvard, went to John Hopkins. And now is a leading neurosurgeon at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. Phenomenal story. But wow. I remembered, Hey, I know another guy. I, I got a guy, you know, <laughs> uh, another brain surgeon who's, you know, um, very successful, very well known. Let me reach out to him. And I knew I was moving to Florida. So I was like, let me see if I can arrange this. And they gave me a, from May, they gave me a three to six month window when they suggested uh, or recommended having the surgery between those months. So I was like, Mm. all right, perfect, perfect timeline. And it worked out to where we moved June 22nd. I got my health insurance to switch over August 1st. Dr. Q got me in August 26th. 
And the reason he prefers the awake brain surgery is many reasons, but technology and science has advanced so much in that field that with brain mapping tools and these little probes, like they can be more aggressive with the surgery, which mm -hmm. he knew I had the new larger mass and then the other smaller masses around. So he could be more aggressive because they can use the probes to test out areas to make sure um, motor functions and all that, like hearing and everything is, is good. And so he prefers the awake surgery because of that. And also they, the location of the tumor, it was near my frontal lobe in the center of the two hemispheres of the brain, but it was growing into the left side as well. So they needed to make sure the right side of my body was working properly. So we went with the open or the awake brain surgery for many different reasons, but mainly because he could be more aggressive with the surgery and the plan of attack, but also mm -hmm. they need to make sure that my body was functioning and that my hearing and vision and um, speaking wasn't being affected because of it. Long story short, he got the new larger mass out and then all of the other masses I've been living with for at least four or five years uh, knowingly. Um, out and so for the first time in 12 years, I can confidently say I'm tumor free, which it's an interesting perspective that you and I uh, love talking about is like the stories we tell ourselves for mm -hmm. so long. I think from 2012 till 2021, I told the story, hey, part of my story is I live with brain tumors and mm -hmm. I no longer have to tell that story. I can rewrite the narrative of my life, which is I'm tumor free and I'm focused on a larger vision uh, than living with brain tumors. So that's really cool. But mm -hmm. the follow-up MRI after surgery showed no tumors, um, no sign oh. of tumors. And Dr. Q said he also didn't have to remove healthy tissue or damage healthy tissue, which was best case scenario. Obviously, he can't say I'm 100% sure because of microscopic cells, the MRI wouldn't be able to pick up, things like that. So we have a very strict protocol for the next couple of years of MRIs to just you know keep up with it and to track you know the progress. But he's like, I'm 99% confident we got everything. There's nothing to worry about. They tested mm -hmm. the tumor. It was grade one, uh, which is phenomenal. And um, we're doing genetic sequencing on the tumor tissue itself and my specific genome uh, to figure out you know, what's causing this, what to stay away from. If it does come back down the road, what treatment options are the best? Because not all forms of radiation are um, beneficial. Some could cause recurrence, some don't. So being able to, to do the genome um, sequencing on it, which, you know, 11 years ago, we weren't able to do it from my understanding. That's another mm -hmm. great thing. So yeah. yeah, being awake for it, Jackie and I are going to record a podcast on our podcast and uh, just to explain, like, cause I keep getting asked and I'm like, there's so much to it. And so we're just going to record a podcast about <laughs> it and just fill in from my perspective of being awake, coherent and hearing things and feeling things and just um, how bizarre it was. But just to wrap this up, the docu-series uh, episode two with Dr. Q, they follow a patient going through the same awake brain surgery. So you mm -hmm. get a, a feel for it. And on that note, we're working with Mayo Clinic's legal team to get the footage of the surgery of me being awake and my brain oh, for really? the documentary we're filming um, and producing in, in the near future. So I'll be able to see my brain and see me awake in the OR, which was a fucking crazy experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack there, but I think first off, as someone who's a, a good friend of yours, I mean, that's that's incredible news. I I, I kind of knew that in an ancillary way, but to hear you say that you're you're tumor free for the first time in in what twelve years is is really incredible to hear. So, so first off, I'm just super happy for you. That's yeah, that's thank you. Insane. I think 
oftentimes it's it's easy to get bogged down and to get frustrated by the limitations of our medical system uh, and its failures at but at the same time to to see that things like this are possible uh, at this point and that modern medicine has brought us this far it is just super exciting and a source of a lot of gratitude to see that that things like this uh, that we can be this aggressive with with tumors like these and that we can do this while someone is awake is yeah. is just kind of unfathomable and i didn't even realize it was possible until it, you were going through it really and we were talking about it um you know pre pre-operation and all that but yeah i think of course there's there's a lot of uh paths i could go down here and i'd certainly love to spend some time at some point really digging into what that's like but as you said you you'll you'll be recording a podcast to to dig a little bit more into what that that awake state is like and and to experience having your own brain operated on uh while you're in in somewhat of a lucid state uh, as as someone as you know who's very interested in in different states of consciousness it's 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 definitely a fascinating one but i think maybe what i'm a little more interested in at the moment is obviously you knew this was coming uh, obviously you you knew it was about to happen to you and um, it's not the first time, but a lot of this was new. And as someone who to some degree was a part of this, seeing you talking to you, interacting with you pre-surgery, I mean, it, you really didn't seem phased by any of it. And, and of course, uh, I know you well at this point and you've been through a lot. You've, you've been around the block a few times, but I'm, I'm just really interested what was, what was going through your head days hours before the surgery and was how much of this was you really not being concerned really having this belief that things were going to work out and that everything would be all right and uh, how much of it was also knowing that that was the best mind state for you to be in and kind of faking it until you made it if you will if that makes sense yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this before, my beliefs on life. And I take, you know, I find Buddhism really interesting because they one of their philosophies is there is no meaning to life. And we know because we have a frontal lobe and a prefrontal cortex, we're able to observe ourselves in thought and in motion, which um, any other living thing can't do that to the degree that a human being can. So we have the ability to make meaning out of things and judge things and make choices and decisions. And I've learned through the 11 years of conscious repetition of trying my best to rewire my mind and my brain to see the learning and everything and to choose an empowered state, which isn't always easy. And I'm a human being. So I do feel fear, anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, guilt, shame, like all those things. Um, but I've just trained myself. Thankfully, BMX helped me do this very, very consciously um, to to focus on what I want to be true. And one of my first tattoo, the first tattoo I ever got across my forearms as fears is a thought, thoughts can be changed. And that's a philosophy I live by. It's mm -hmm. not always easy. And it's not to judge other people. It's not to say this is right or wrong. It's just a philosophy I live by. And it's, to me, it's an empowered state. And when I was, you know, given this diagnosis and for months, just uh, thinking about, I'm going to be going through a second surgery. There's risks that I could die. There's risks to become paralyzed. There's so many things that could go wrong. Um, but also there's so much, um, you know, beautiful things that could come from it. And I just decided to go all in on what I wanted to be true. It wouldn't 
let other information come in that was disagreeing with that. So there was two things that came from that, like this double-edged sword of focusing on what you want and then using that as an empowered state to live by. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a fine line. And so one thing is I was talking with Jackie and I was getting confused because I was like, I'm feeling these emotions of a human being and I'm confused. Am I frustrated that I'm feeling them or am I just down because I'm feeling them? Mm. Like, it's just like yeah. getting to that level of self-awareness and, and consciousness. It's like, I'm observing myself as like a third party and I'm like, I'm feeling the emotions I should be feeling as a conscious human being. And mm. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm just feeling those emotions or if I'm just frustrated that I'm feeling them because I know that's not serving me and that's not what I want to focus on. And so that was, that was a learning curve the first two weeks after the initial seizure in May. And then it came to a point when I announced that I was having a surgery, so many people were, in my mind, projecting their fears onto me saying, mm. oh, like, I'm yeah. so sorry you have to go through this, like this and that. And I get the intention and I, I don't um you know mean anything ill intended on other people by saying those things everyone's just doing the best and they're just sharing whether it's just that's all they know to say or they truly mean like they feel for me and i i appreciate the love like the, no doubt but that mm. was something that in my mind i'm like i don't want people saying they are sorry for me because i've never used the the brain tumor card like i've never identified as that that person that is anything less than what i want to be so when people are saying they're sorry for me, I'm like, why? Why are you sorry for me? Because I'm not. Because mm -hmm. I see this as an opportunity, twofold. An opportunity because I'm going through awake brain surgery and just, you know, we've talked about our interests with the psychedelic world and meditation and floats and like, or float tank therapy, like all those types of things, altered states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. I'm like, here's something 99% of people will never experience. That's mm -hmm. really cool to me. But also here's an opportunity to let people know that this is real for me. This is not just something I've been talking about for 11 years as theory. You know, I'm a big proponent of walking my talk and here's an opportunity that I'm excited about because I get to remind people that all the things I talk about of self-improvement and empowerment and choices and focus and intention, it's real. And I'm doing, I'm going to document this and I'm going to show people the power of our mind. And so it came to this point where I just got in this mindset that even Jackie and I had to have arguments because she would be worried about me, which is expected. Someone that you love and that loves mm -hmm. you, they're going to be worried about you. And I had this issue with my parents as well. And it's just like, no, I'm, I'm fucking fine. Like, I'm excited <laughs> about this. And like, it just got to a point where I was actually projecting my own shit on other people because I wasn't letting that information come in with the understanding that they love me and they care for me, which I resolved that right before surgery through conversations with Jackie and my family. But it got to this point where, you know, the fake it till you make it. Like I took on this identity and this persona that, you know, I'm strong minded. I'm focused on what it was all true, but mm -hmm. anything less than that, I'm not going to let that come in. And so I'd respond to people, you know, thanks for the love, stuff like that. But I was just like frustrated because I was like, I've for 11 years have branded myself as this person that is strong minded. Not that I don't experience the shit. Like I believe in the dual reality and I do my best to stay neutral, feel the lows, experience the highs, celebrate, but like stay, you know, here with the intention of what I want. And that's why I think I've become successful. But I get to the point where I was just like, what is, what is the disconnect from people not understanding my message and feeling the need to say they're sorry for me. And I had to let that go because it's not, it's not other people. It was my own issue uh, or challenge accepting that. But 
I believe that mindset is what led me to where I am today, what led me to Dr. Q, what led me to not giving up 11 years of fighting and being depressed and being sad and like crying to my mom about why is this happening to me over the year? Like all these things that I've experienced that now I'm, I'm learning that I never really talked about them. So mm-hmm. it's now my intention to be vulnerable and open more than I thought I was, uh, which came from Jackie and I recording a podcast about my emotions after the uh, the seizure and feeling depressed and and feeling um, like a burden to my friends and my family because for eleven years I've been in my mind uh, quote unquote putting them through this and that's mm. that's not something I wanted to do I have no control over this but that was what I was feeling and someone said you know thanks for letting us know that because we just thought you were this invincible superhuman of emotion like this bulletproof <laughs> emotional person and I was like. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. I feel these things, but I've trained my brain over 11 years of conscious repetition of experiencing anything less than I want. Okay, what do I want? Okay, what do I need to do? How do I make that happen? Let's do that. And over time, that just becomes automatic to where, you know, I I feel shit. Like I I feel the lows. Um, A great example of that is when my brother passed three years ago. That was the most pain emotionally I've ever been in and physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just, it, it rocked my world and I was depressed for months, not knowing it, uh, couldn't get out of bed for, it took me like two to three hours to get out of bed every day, uh, mm. for like three weeks. And thankfully I had, uh, a Slovenian BMX athlete and his father come to stay with me like nine days after that, that experience of my brother passing, because that's what got me out of bed was knowing mm. I had a yeah. responsibility to coach and to take care of them for a month. Um, and that I'm just sharing that because it's, it's come to my attention that, I've never really shared the lows as deeply as I am today as Mm -hmm. a reminder of like, here's the perspective I have. You're alive. Things could be worse, but it just matters of your focus, your intention. And that's, that's just been the last uh, four months of just becoming aware of that. And that whole persona I took on of like focusing on this outcome and seeing it and just everything like walking and talking that anything less was not unacceptable is mm-hmm. what I saw it. So it created a yeah. lot of frustration with me and my mm-hmm. friends, my family and Jackie. But ultimately, you know, I, I worked through it. That's doing the work. It's a never ending journey. And um, I'm alive. I'm well, I'm happy. My family's happy. Jackie's happy. And uh, we couldn't have asked for a better circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate you walking me through that. That's, uh, I, I see you getting excited uh, <laughs> when, when you get on a roll. And it, I think it's beautiful. You know, I mean, I think as we've developed a relationship uh, over the past uh, year, year and a half. It's, it's always been interesting to, to just kind of check in with you and, and to see your perspectives on things because it, it is, it is pretty radical, right? I mean, I think a lot of people see you and, and they see your perspective and it's, it's often hard to relate to. It's hard to understand how someone can, can deal with what you've dealt with and, and still come out on the other side and, and see things the way that you do. And I think it's, as you mentioned, even, even hardest for those around you to not, to not project or to not, uh, just feel like there's a disconnect between realities or what you, what you're perceiving and, and, and their ways of, of coping with, uh, their concerns and worries versus yours. And I I've even been a part of that myself, you know, I mean, when, when this first all went down, I, I heard you were getting surgery. Like I was scared, right? I mean, uh, naturally I was, and, and naturally I was worried. And, um, it's, it was one of those things where when we first talked about it and I think I, I have a different perspective than most, but 
I think the first time we talked about it, you, you kind of mentioned it like it was nothing, you know, like you kind of just mentioned it like you were, you know, having a routine checkup or, you know, having your wisdom teeth taken out or something. And, and in a way that was comforting though. I, I think I know you well enough to know that you come by it honestly. And even in times where I, I felt worried and I, I did have my own concerns and, you know, would maybe get a little bit in my own head about it. I, I always fell back in the fact that I, I knew on, on the inside you were all right. And, and I was like, okay, if, if Josh is cool with this, if, if Josh is rolling with the punches and this isn't phasing him, then, then what do I have to worry about? You know? Um, so I think it's, it's an incredible thing that you're able to, to do that for those around you. And I know that that it gets more complicated with even closer relationships, but, um, to be able to, to just always have that, that optimism and that, and that perspective of just planning for how things will be, uh, when they work out. And because there's really not any benefit to kind of, I guess, catastrophizing things or, or assuming the worst, because uh, that's, especially in scenarios, this, uh, this acute, all, all you can do is, is focus on your role in it. And you've, you've clearly developed a, an incredible capacity to do that. And, and, and here we are a month after your surgery. And I mean, even days after your surgery, you were, you were up and about, you were doing your thing, uh, almost as if nothing happened. And not that I expected any less, but it's, it's just been kind of incredible to, to observe it all. And I know we're friends, I know we're close, but still regardless just to say it i mean i really am proud of you and, and everything that that you've done and, and the perspective that you have and i'm just happy to to have been a part of it yeah i mean i appreciate that and it just reminds me of one of the, the beliefs i hold and that i teach to my clients and all the content i put out is you are more than your circumstances if you choose to believe that and bmx taught me that in a very vivid and painful physically and emotionally uh, way of hitting the ground from very high. Yeah. If you're focused on the vision of what you want to do, in that case, learn this trick, you have to overcome your circumstances. You have to overcome the pain mentally and physically. And what you're being told by others, um, whether it be your parents or your friends or your teachers, which was all really relevant for me, except my parents fully supported me. Like they instilled optimal delusion or delusional optimism in me from a young age to where the point where my teachers were failing me of projects because BMX was, was in there. And that's a whole nother conversation, but that <laughs> delusional optimism is what allowed me to overcome my circumstances, no matter how painful it was. And that's something I took on unconsciously up until about four or five years ago, when I got into specific work of like Dr. Joe Dispenza, Nicola Perra, um, and even things that Jim Carrey talks about, those are big role models of mine. And Kerwin Ray, you know, um, at first they were virtual mentors, who I referred to them as. And now like Kerwin, I've met and become friends with. I've connected with Dr. Nicole over, um, you know, the internet and things like that. Uh, it's really amazing to see her grow her platform and community to what she has back from when I first found her Instagram page. But, you know, that that belief of overcoming your circumstances has always been there unconsciously. And it was instilled in me through BMX and my parents. And then I get to a point where it's just like, oh, I'm very aware of this now. I'm going all in on it for myself. But it's also become a platform I've used to teach other people how to do it, whether it be my clients, um, my writing, uh, my my online courses, like anything I do speaking, like it's it's about overcoming your circumstances and being drawn towards the vision you're working towards rather than being in the shit, no matter what it is, because I know you can give me any example of a radical experience that one could find themselves in. And I know someone that's got out of it. I know a person that has no arms and legs, 
but it's fulfilled, it is happy, and it's created a successful seven-figure business. Like it's just there is. It's it's there's mm-hmm. no meaning to it other than the meaning you apply, and that's either gonna serve you or it's gonna hold you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's a it's a fascinating perspective, but I, just to jump back to what you mentioned earlier and, and what your parents instilled and even just the concept of of delusional optimism, which I think, you know, is is I think it can be interpreted many ways. And I think delusions are often framed as something that as things that are negative. And in a certain context, they certainly are. But I think and this is something we talked about in depth, uh, actually, when I came on your show months ago, but I think we have this, we have these ideas, these ideals about getting to fundamental truths about life and and understanding things on the deepest possible level. But I think sometimes that's a little bit of a dead end. And I, I go back and forth all the time with myself, but I think we have to accept to, to be human beings in the world that some level of quote unquote delusion or lack of contact with base reality is necessary and in many ways is ideal that what what life really is like at base might not be something that we really even want to experience right i think anyone who's who's been on uh, had any contact with psychedelics or even just gone through a really rough time or in any sort of altered state that that what what life is, what experience is, what consciousness is fundamentally, A, we don't understand, and B, is is almost a, a state not worth pursuing. You wouldn't want to be on uh, psychedelics all the time. And if that's, if that's closer to what it's like, then I think we have to accept that some level of delusion or illusion uh, is simply a part of being and that certain certain things we will never fully get the bottom get to the bottom of and so it is up to us what we kind of uh, take the pill on if you will that there, there are certain things uh, I know we, we get into the placebo effect a lot but at the end of the day no one's really like keeping it real all the way like no one is is doing that and i think people often get too caught up on like whether or not everything is 100 percent true even though we we know almost nothing about what consciousness really is so we're, we're just not there and so sure i think we want to peel back certain layers right we we want to we want to get past certain delusions and, and things that are unhelpful things that hold us back but on, but on the same level we have to accept that that certain things there will be no certainty on and certain things we will never fully understand and if we want to break it down to just like every atom that exists and and, you know proverbially see the world as the matrix you know (laughs) to, to walk around in everyday life and just see numbers like no one really wants that and so it you to some extent have the agency to say okay if i can train my brain if i can create certain beliefs if i can put myself in certain circumstances that you can decide okay i can remove certain things from my life i can add certain things in i can will myself uh or create the environment for myself to be able to do certain things because there is this plasticity to everything and and we don't fully understand it um so i just think it's really interesting to to see that applied uh in, in your life and, and in anyone's life as you said there's there's people of all sorts who have overcome unimaginable things and maybe we won't get into today uh 
how that really works. Cause I, I know we've talked so much about, about free will and, and, uh, how, how deep you can dig there and, and how much, I guess, agency, responsibility, uh, choice each individual has. But at the end of the day, uh, we can look at outcomes and, and we have to learn something from that. And we can see that these things are possible, uh, from ordinary people. And there's, there's certainly something to be, to be held on to, held on to there and even just to jump back to, to something you said earlier it's 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 fascinating to see something that you could easily and probably most commonly describe as a nightmare right i mean having your brain operated on while you're awake i mean that's you, you can't make that stuff up i think to the average person that's that's a worst fear that's a worst case scenario that you would be in that sort of conscious state having uh something that that you could easily frame as so scary and so terrifying and so destabilizing a a genuine nightmare and you could go into that with enough curiosity to be excited about it to to be able to say this is this is a unique fringe human experience that many people will never see and to go into that being just interested in in what that's like is is really a, the pinnacle of what uh, it is possible as a, as a human being. Um, and on, on one final note, I know I've been going deep on this one, but it's, it's an example I use often when we talk about something like solitary confinement, uh, being essentially the ultimate punishment to an individual in that it's, it's essentially only a matter of time before someone has some sort of mental break. It's, it's in my opinion, almost inhumane for, and there's certainly an argument on that front to, to put prisoners in solitary confinement because we see what it does to people and we see how much we thrive off of connection and relationship and just being around others as social creatures. But at the same time, you, there's, there's many monks and, and hermits out, <laughs> out in the world and in Tibet and all kinds of places who spend years, decades in complete isolation who seem to be living the most enjoyable and content experiences and existences of anyone on this planet. So it's, it really is just a matter of perspective and anything can kind of be framed, uh, any way that you'd like. And that's kind of what's exciting and, and sometimes terrifying about, about being alive. Yeah. I think it was Sam Harris. I was talking about that. He's like, I know I can be locked in a cave and just be with my thoughts and meditate, but do I want to do that? No, but I know mm -hmm. it's possible. Um, so I think that, and I know Dr. Daniel Amen through spect imaging and looking at the brain's blood flow and activity and connections, putting prisoners, which have, he, he helped me understand that my belief of that, I don't believe in bad people. I just believe in unhealthy people especially when it comes to the brain, but putting prisoners in solitary confinement is just damaging them more. And then when they serve their time, we release them into the you know society and then we wonder why they're back in there because they haven't healed. And so that's a whole different perspective of having empathy rather than judgment. And mm -hmm. you, you mentioned so many other things. Uh, the Matrix, one, have you seen <laughs> that there's a trailer for a new one coming out? Oh, really? No, yeah, I, so that, I knew they were exciting. working on one, but I haven't seen the trailer. That's Yeah, I found uh, amazing. It was like a recommended YouTube video the other day. Um, so maybe check that out. But then also, this is common with any field of studies in life. The more we learn, the more we learn we don't know shit about being a human and then this subjective reality. Same thing with psychedelics, same thing with consciousness and genomes and like all this stuff. The more we learn, the more we learn how complex being a human really is and that we don't even know much of anything. Um, the other thing is, you know, you talked about 
how I said I was excited for this opportunity, that level of energy could be confused with anxiety. Same amount, same level of energy, mm-hmm. but it's just a, a frame. It's a perspective. Like, how are you framing this event? I looked at it as an opportunity, an opportunity in various ways we spoke about. That level of energy could be confused with anxiety, and often rightfully so, uh, depending on the work that someone's done to understand themselves, their central nervous system, their external environment, what choices they've made unconsciously to put them in these environments that create this trigger for the central nervous system. And like that's where one of my favorite books, uh, Dr. Nicole DePera's book, How to Do the Work, is beautiful. It, it's the most empowering and liberating book one person could read and actually understand. And she gives um, assignments after each chapter of how to do what she's talking about. And that's that's like the foundation of like the last 11, 12 years of my life learning these things is like how to frame things. Thankfully, BMX, like I said earlier, helped me see that in a very real way because let's say I wanted to learn this trick and I fell, I could have chosen to be, oh, I'm a failure, I'm gonna give up. But the vision I had outweighed the circumstance. And that's why I talk about, you know, having a clear vision that is going to propel you forward rather than trying to escape something negative because that can only fuel you for so long. I started out my BMX career fueled by spite and anger to prove people wrong that doubted me. That only got me so far. Once I shifted to love and abundance as fuel, that's what led me to leaving that career, which insecurities led me to a judge sport as a career, which that that's a whole other mm. conversation of its own that I had to work through. And I was like, mm. oh, that makes sense. Um, but then learning like, oh, wow, I'm grateful to be alive. There's a higher purpose for my life. And um, that actually reminds me, I think I might have mentioned uh, be- Becoming Nobody, the documentary about Ram Dass, aka Richard Albert. Um mm his story and his philosophy of life, he talks about how he went to meet his guru and he was like, you know, um, you know, I want to be um, enlightened. How do I become enlightened? And his guru said, serve people. And he's like, what the hell? Like, I thought you'd tell me like meditate or mm-hmm. mon- like have this mantra. Like, he's like, no, go serve people. And he's like, let me, let me, let me rephrase this in his mind. He's saying, let me trick him. He's like, how do I become successful? He's like, serve people. It's all about <laughs> serving other people. And so, mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, when I received a third brain tumor diagnosis, right after my best year competing, which was after an ACL reconstructive surgery to end 2015, which was a two-year process of being stubborn and preventing it or putting it off, kind of how Jackie or exactly how Jackie and I met and then now have uh, you know formed a life together. Uh, so another horrible thing I framed as you know positive and it led me to the love of my life. Um, that that wake up call as I referred to it, the third brain tumor diagnosis in February, 2017 was in the middle of me doing ESPN article with a, a writer, a BMX writer for ESPN about, you know, all the, the success last year, moving that to this year, 2017. Um, you know, I later on met a good friend of mine, Isaac Stegman, who I recently had on the podcast. And he mentioned this, this phrase off self on purpose that, a uh, former employee or a former boss of his uh, presented to him one day when he, he noticed that Isaac was distracted. He's like, Isaac, are you on self or are you on purpose? Purpose to do the job today. And that's become something that helped me make sense. Keyword, make sense of my life in the past. And in that moment, I realized, okay, so my purpose isn't to ride my bike. People actually don't care that I'm riding my bike. There's a deeper layer that may they may not even be aware of. They're just finding inspiration from me getting up and trying again, pursuing my dreams, pursuing my vision, and ultimately sharing that with others. So that phrase off self on purpose just helps me make sense of so many things to where it led me 
on my own terms, walking away from my dream that I had formed as a child. And mm. I became more fulfilled, uh, happier, and hey, who knew? More successful in every l- l- uh, way mm. possible, financially, uh, spiritually, relationships, uh, everything. Uh, any any form of success you can measure, my life drastically improved because I was on purpose of serving other people. And that's what I've created a business around. That's, that's how you and I met. That's how uh, so many of these things have come to my life is because I got off of self and I was making sense of my life's path it started with becoming the best version of myself. That was my purpose for so long. That was selfish. Not not to be negative, that, that's a very stigmatized word, is selfishness. It's actually being in a stressful survival mode where your focus is on self because you, you need to get you know to the next level of survival. Um, it's not anything negative, which people usually add that context. And this is my belief about that. Um, but it was like, okay, cool. I need to get to uh, serving people. This is This is what my life has shown me. And this is what I see as my calling today and what I've created the business around and a message around and essentially a team uh, supporting that mission and that vision. And there's just, there's so many things that uh, have made that evident. And as I've gone in on that, you know, um, I've seen the success on all these fronts with my health. Meeting Dr. Q didn't happen for any happenstance. It happened for a reason. I didn't know at the time, but um, it's why I'm here today ultimately. And uh, there's just so many other things that uh, for the sake of this conversation, I'll leave out and we'll probably talk about it another time. But yeah, that phrase off self on purpose just helped me make sense of so much and then refocus on what I'm doing today. Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly will, I'm sure. Uh, but it's it's definitely exciting. And and as I said before, it's it's been wonderful just to be able to be a part of of your journey and to, to have that exposure to it and, and to learn and, and to grow together and I guess that kind of brings me to why we're here ultimately today, which is a part of this this second season. What, I, what I'm trying to do differently this time around is to kind of track these conversations more so over time and, and how people change, how how circumstances change people and how how conversations are, are always, I guess not always, but in, in an ideal world are this ongoing thing and it's not like we just talk once and that exists in a bubble forever it's 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 all about the context of that conversation and it's always changing and so obviously of course this this isn't the last time we'll do this but i think it's been really interesting especially to just be able to observe you and in your journey because you have experienced so much and and so much has changed since the last time we really sat down to do this or even the first time we sat down to do this but i am quite interested interested in if if there's anything poignant that you feel like you've changed your mind on since since the last time we we had a conversation on the record i know it was, it was months ago now it's it's hard to even remember exactly when it was but um yeah i'm just curious if, if there's anything that comes to mind that that you've changed on or you feel like has has changed within you since then yeah, I think the the one thing that stands out right away is the unconscious projection I put out there before of like taking on that persona of just focus on what you want. Your circumstances don't matter unless you make them matter. It's about the vision and really losing track of everyone doing the best where they are and with the resources they have available to them at the time. And I was just very hungo or hungo, whatever the phrase is, on, uh, on my gun-ho, belief gun-ho. of like, what's that? <laughs> I said gun ho. Gun ho. Yeah, I said it backwards. <laughs> um, 
it was just being, you know, focused on that belief I had because that was serving me, but it was, it was almost eliminating or invalidating if that's a word, um, I've been making up words lately. It makes sense. <laughs> no, it sounds good, but I'm like, all right. Uh, Jackie's like, that's not a word. <laughs> like, okay. But we understand making, making it like sound like coming from a superiority perspective of like your emotions aren't valid. Your circumstances don't mean shit. It's just about what you focus on. And I've learned mm -hmm. to have more empathy of where people are and not, unconsciously judge them for my projecting my own insecurities, my own fears onto other people. And I think that's been the biggest change. And that's been one of the biggest fundamental shifts that's helped me reach more people is, is not unconsciously judging or projecting onto them from my own insecurities. It's just having more empathy and trying to understand where they are. Because if you can understand and not critique, then you can help share these empowering concepts that are tried and true. That's why there's so many people out there teaching these theories um, and concepts and living that existence. And I'm one of them now, which is really unfathomable coming from being a high school dropout, never wanting to read, write, or speak to people I didn't know, being like <laughs> a shy person and all that. Now I'm like, I'm excited as you worded earlier to talk with people, to get out there on stage, to write. And like, it's just phenomenal. But I think that's been the biggest shift is is wanting to understand people. And that came from reading Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think it's chapter five or six. Uh, first, seek to understand, then be understood. For so long, it was serving me in my own selfish manner of insecurity or, or suppressing these insecurities to be understood. Now I'm trying to take on the role the best I can, which is an evolving process as a human being. The work never stops. But to to first understand where people are where they're coming from, what ultimately they want in their lives and what they're willing to do for that. And then I come in and I help them make that happen from my experiences and the lens that I lend them of my life and what refocusing on purpose uh, or that vision you have and like creating a new frame. So I think long story short, the biggest thing that I've shifted is having more uh, empathy and trying to understand other people where they are and then helping them navigate to where they want to go using my own experiences and my philosophies that they can internalize in their own manner. When before it was just like, here's what I've done. It works. Just do it. Like, you know, now I'm like, let me understand you first. What do you want? What mm -hmm. are you feeling? What are you thinking? Where are you coming from? What's your autobiography up to this point? And where do you want to go? And maybe I could help, maybe not. But that it, first, I have to understand, and then maybe you'll be able to understand me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fascinating concept, and certainly one that I can relate to, and and always have to be reminded of. And it's it's certainly one I've been working on for a while. So I guess I can say that I've come a long way on that front. But it, it can be quite counterintuitive. It's it's hard to to recognize that even those who I think you have, um, I guess, kind of visceral or gut reactions to reject or to uh, even even hate in some circumstances and sort of perspectives that people put forward or the people that represent what you feel like is maybe wrong with the world and to be able to try to meet them where they are and recognize that they can't change who they are right now. Sure, maybe in the future they'll be different, but right now things just are as they are and nothing changes in an instant. So that, that even if you want someone to, to improve, to be open to new things, every single interaction you have, it's, it is what it is in that moment. And you have to take it for what it is. You have to at least attempt to accept people for what they are in any given moment. 
because uh, if you come to them with with the wrong sort of perspective, with the wrong even just tone, you know there's no chance you're going to help them. You know there's no chance they're going to listen to you if if they feel as though there's that disconnect there. There's not even an attempt at empathy. So even in the most extreme of circumstances, being willing to accept that in, in most situations, people couldn't be any people couldn't react any differently than they, they did in that situation and allowing that to create some distance between emotions like hate and, and, and guilt and envy and, and all of that. And, and as that relates to free will, we've talked about plenty, but just being able to, to have a little bit of distance between uh, maybe what you might hope a person could be or, or become or, or want for themselves and just what they are right now. And, and, and that accepting them for that, regardless of how different it is from where you are, uh, is such an important skill to have, but it, it, it really doesn't come naturally. And uh, it, it, it forces you to, to reevaluate a lot of different perspectives that one might have on life. And I, I've certainly found it to be quite helpful, but again, is, is much easier said than done. But one thing, and I guess you've kind of answered this to some extent in a way, but I'll see if there's, there's a different answer there on some level. And I think for someone like you, it's, it's probably a pretty loaded question because of the way you see life. But I'm just curious because I want to do this more regularly. So hopefully it won't be long, but by the next time we we sit down again to to have a formal conversation like this on the record, what, what do you want to see differently? Where where do you want to be that is different than where you are right now? Um, I guess it depends on what level, because instantly, like you, you mentioned, I'm thinking, is that emotionally? Is that um, outwardly as in terms of a business or a leader? Is that my relationship? Is that this X, Y, and Z? So like, <laughs> I guess to better answer that and it not be an hour long response, um, on what level? Um, I guess I would say just just choose one uh, and on any level. And like I said, I think we want to do this more regularly over time so i think we can kind of track that but to even just give us a reference point for our next conversation um yeah i'm just curious what what you want to be working towards so that when the next time we talk we can maybe just address it and see see where the struggles have been see where the successes have been um and and just how that's that's evolved in your perspective so i'm going to pick two because i think they're closely related, if not very congruent with one another, and that's relationships and a, a leader. Um, and leading by example and the things that I'm doing in my business, which is speaking and writing and coaching and developing a team, which um, we'll be speaking soon about your involvement with that, if that's something that's still of interest. Yeah, um, but sure. also with my relationships, because both of them require to me to increase my self-awareness, to increase my emotional intelligence, to be fully aware of the dark and the light aspects of who I am, the ego and the shadow and like putting, putting that together in the way that I embrace that aspect of who I am or those aspects. And then I also can continue doing the work to become the best version of myself, which improves my relationships, um, with my family, with Jackie, uh, but then also with my team and then the people I'm mentoring and coaching. Um, but then also that helps me become a better leader because I'm also leading by example. I'm owning up to my mistakes. I'm holding myself accountable. I'm not pushing things on other people, projecting things on other people. I'm taking full responsibility for the life that I've created, the mistakes that I've made, 
with the understanding that I'm doing the best I can, which is a belief of mine that we're only always doing the best we can with the resources we have available to us at the time. Our mind mm -hmm. is that main resource. So your mental state is not to be judged. You're just always doing the best you can, which goes back to my belief before there's no bad people. I don't believe in shitty people. I don't believe in that person's a bad person. I think people are trying to do the best they can with resolving un uh, or with treating unresolved trauma in whatever way makes sense to them at the time. So if that means they're going to feel better about putting someone else down, they're just doing the best they know how to do to make themselves feel better. I think it's everyone's just doing the best to self-regulate their nervous system. That's that's a big belief I hold. It, it could be true, it could be false, but it helps me understand, have more empathy for other people. So I think the place that I want to see myself grow is within relationships and as a leader. Um, and that is intimately with my friends, my family, and my relationship with Jackie, but then also with the business I'm forming, my clients, my team that I'm putting together. Um, I just want to see myself, you know, increase that that ability to uh, become the best version of myself because that's also going to translate into who I reach and then how I help serve people, getting them to be the best versions of themselves and improve their life on whatever front they want to improve. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you know, I'm 100% with you on, on that perspective, particularly the, the people doing the best that they can with, with what they have. And it's again, relates back to what we were just talking about, but it's, it's sometimes a difficult perspective to have, but it, it really is the truth and, and it's it's not to excuse people's behavior it's it's not to even remove responsibility it's it's just to say that that we are what we are in the moment and we yeah, it's can, not to we take away consequences for people's decisions of saying something or doing something it's just and it's not always easy you're still going to be triggered and it doesn't dismiss the fact of reality it mm -hmm. just helps create more empathy for people which takes away external judgment, which also affects you because it's just your insecurities being projected and it just creates a better environment. And it's just, uh, in my mind, a much happier way to live with the perspective of love rather than the negative emotions of anger, shame, guilt, judgment, like those types of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that certainly leaves us at a point in which we can, we can certainly circle back on. And as you mentioned, we, we've got, we got some things going on in the background that that hopefully will be a part of future conversations as well. So I certainly hope to do this. Uh, I more than hope to do it again soon. We will do it again soon, and and just continue to have this conversation. This isn't this isn't the end of it. And again, this is kind of a part of what I want season two to be. Is not every conversation has to have a, a true conclusion. It's it's an ongoing one. It's a living one. And uh, I, I appreciate you being a part of it. We're going to put a pin in it for now, but we will be back soon. Again, thank you. This conversation gave me a lot of energy, honestly. Uh, I love to have it, and, and I love what you always bring to the table. Uh, so, yeah, again, thanks, Josh, and and uh, we'll, we'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, and as always, and uh, I love you. I love the intention of the podcast, the project, and um, I, I just think the uh, the what you mentioned about – it not having the conversations not being a conclusion, it just speaks to the reality of life. We're always evolving. As long as you're a living human being, there's never a conclusion. There's never a destination. And I know that's like a, a cliche thing to say these days, especially in the business world or the self-empowerment world. Uh, the, the the journey is the destination. There is no destination, but it's just it's just a fact of life. Like you're always growing and evolving and changing, especially as you age on a literal sense. So um, I, I look forward to the future conversations and I appreciate you having me be a part of this. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's a, it's an exciting way to kick it off. And, uh, 
we'll leave it at that. But in, until next time, and we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks all y'all for joining. So if you've made it this far, hopefully it's because this project has resonated with you in some way and added value to your life. And if so, it would be great if you could take that next step to do any of the things that people are always asking you to do. Subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share with a friend, give us a follow on social. I know it can feel like a chore, I get it, but it is all rather simple and easy, a lot easier than listening to this whole episode. So any support really does mean a lot to me and goes a long way towards helping this show and its message grow. The simple fact that you're still listening at this point already makes this whole thing worth it for me. Anything else is just gravy. Remember, again, please do send your questions and topics to at impostorsanon on Instagram and Twitter. I welcome them all and would love to hear from you. And oh, if you could be interested in coming on this very show, shoot us a message. Seriously, there are no requirements. I'm always looking for new guests with unique perspectives. I don't care about how many followers you have or where you went to school, and I certainly don't want to read your resume. I just like having interesting, candid conversations. So why not? You're all already a part of this project in my eyes, but I'll give it a rest for today. Thanks again. Your perspective is valuable, and I'll see you next time.